The following sermon is brought to you by ThePreachersVault.com, bringing old-time preaching to a new generation. Go ahead and take your Bibles, open them up with me to the book of Romans. When you get there, go to Romans chapter 5, and hopefully, if your Bible is laid out like mine is, you will find yourself being able to see the latter part of chapter 4 as well as the beginning part of chapter 5. If that's not the case, then you're going to have to flip over just a little bit to see that. We're going to be looking at chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 eventually, but I do want to recognize some things from chapter 4. There in just a moment, we're going to be talking tonight about how to have a strong faith and the ingredients that go along with having a strong faith. And I'm just going to be very personal uh, about myself and hopefully in doing so can establish a few things with you as we begin to talk tonight. I'm going to admit as we begin to get in our discussion tonight that having a strong faith can be at times very, very difficult. We think that as Christians, and I'm just speaking of us standing and sitting inside of these four walls, we sometimes think that having a strong faith is the same thing as being faithful. And maybe that's because we amount faithfulness to being faithful to a service. And I mean by that exactly what you think I might mean. And I mean just sitting and holding a spot in a pew. Attending a certain number, a certain percentage of services during any given time, whether it be a month, a quarter, a year, for many of you a decade or even a lifetime. And I would say if you back up in my life a year or two or three, that's most likely what I would equate faithfulness to. But I'll be completely honest with you, and I'll tell you at this point in my life, I've discovered there's a whole lot more to faithfulness than that. I'll admit to you that sitting inside of a church house in the midst and during every single service could also mean you are far from faithful. Actually, and in reality, it could mean that mentally you are as weak in your faith as you've ever been in your life. You say, how do you know that? How can you be sure of that? Have you seen that occur? I've seen it. But I've also lived it. And to tell you the truth, I'm living it. I have never in my life been as weak and as broken as I am right now. And I've been through a lot. I've never in my life found myself in a place where I wanted to get away from more 
than I do right now. My phone rings probably, no exaggeration, five or six times a week. I probably get that many texts every single week. People saying, hey Jim, do you want to come and speak? Do you want to come and preach? Do you want to come and do this meeting? Do you want to come and fill in? Do you want to come and be with us and, and, and speak on this topic? And I say, no. I'm booked up or I'm too busy or I just can't. Because on the inside, I can't. I just turn it away. With the hundreds and thousands of times I've stood in pulpits and now up to a point I just can't. I was invited to be in two other places just today to preach. And I said, I just can't. One of the two, admittedly, I accepted. And then by Friday, I said, I just can't. And then Shane texted and asked me to preach here tonight. And on the inside, I said, I just can't. But I am. That's not for illustration. That's not for emphasis. That's not for emotion. That is the honest. And if this offends you, it's the way we talk around. That's the honest to God truth. I'd like to say that I've not lost faith in God. But I also understand that faith in God has nothing to do with the way my mouth moves and what I say. I watch my family struggle. I watch my wife struggle. I watch myself struggle. I watch my children struggle. I watch my son who cannot walk. My youngest children who face a future of very little emotionally, physically, but I want to support them. So maybe a can't needs to be a can. In Romans chapter 4 and verse 11, this is not our main text, but I want you to see it. And if you don't have a Bible or access to one, I beg you to look to one because we didn't come here to discuss me or anyone else. But chapter 4 and verse 11, here's what the Scripture says. And he, now this is speaking of Abraham, the topic of chapter 4 is David in the beginning and then it shifts in chapter 4, I'm sorry, chapter 4 and verse 11, it shifted over to Abraham now as being the subject of faith the emphasis of faith, and he received the sign of circumcision, the seal of righteousness of the faith. Watch this now, which he had, yet being uncircumcised, that he might be, here's the phrase, the father of all them that believe. 
That is, everyone who would ever have any level of faith, any level of trust, any level of belief, Abraham was the one who set the standard and became the father of all. Now drop down to verse 16. Therefore, that is because of that, because of who Abraham was, because of what Abraham was able to do, verse 16, it is of faith that it might be of grace until the end of the promise that it might be sure to all the seed than to that only which is of the law, but to also which is of the faith of Abraham, which is the father, there's the same phrase just restated, really the same purpose at least, which is the father of us all. Now drop down to verse 19. And be not weak in faith, Abraham was not weak in faith. This is how all this is possible. He's not weak in faith. He considered not his own body now dead. Yet when he was about in the hundred years old, neither was he dead. In the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief and was, watch the phrase here, does your Bible say the same thing? And was strong in faith. Abraham was not weak in faith, but yet was strong in faith. Now what's the subject matter? You keep reading for it. Giving the glory to God and being fully persuaded that he had promised that he would be able also to perform it. That is, whatever God says he will do, he can do and also will completely do. And therefore imputed unto him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone, and it was imputed to him, but for us also. And to him it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised Jesus up, our Lord from the dead, who has delivered us from the offenses and raised again for our justification. Now the reason I read verse 11, verse, verse 16, verse 18 and 19 and forward on to the bottom of this is because we have to, because the Bible requires it of us, because the subject of tonight's lesson is strong in faith and how to be strong in faith and stand against being weak in faith begins there in chapter 5 and verse 1 and the very first word is what? Therefore. King James speaks, therefore, that is we had to know what came before that and the subject matter before that had to do with Abraham and his faith and the strength of his faith. Therefore, being justified by faith or through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom also we have access by faith in the grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope and the glory of God, verse 3, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulations work with patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. Verse 5, And hope maketh us not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Verse 6, For when we were yet without, what's that word? strength when we were yet without ability in due time Christ died for the ungodly now it's unfortunate and I know I'm not going to have the time to even complete those six verses let alone the ones that ought to go with it which was at least down to about verse 12 we're going to pause there in that verse verse 6 
Let's take verses 1 through about verse 5 mainly of this text. Chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And let's look at some characteristics or what it's going to take in order to stand and to have that strong faith as opposed to that weak type of faith that's going to be needed in our life. Number one, I want us to realize together that conversion is going to bring conflict. Conversion is going to bring conflict. Now let's reread again as best that I can and more quickly. Let's reread again verses 1 and 2 of this and just consider in our minds what this is actually talking about. Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we also have access by faith through His grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. What is that? Verses 1 and 2, that speaks of our conversion. That speaks of our coming to God. And the key word there is our access to God. You see, prior to our conversion, prior to our coming to God and accessing God, we don't have God. People outside of these four walls and outside of the four walls, if they exist in that matter, they don't have to as far as a building, I don't mean that, but outside of the walls of God, people outside of the boundaries and the borders of God's kingdom do not have access to God in the way that they need to in order to have conversion, in order to have salvation. It's not possible. This morning, Shane went over and over toward the middle to the latter part of his sermon. He went over and over and over what it meant to be in Christ and what was gained basically in access by being in Christ. Same principle. Same thought. Same idea. But let me describe this word that King James uses here as access just a little bit better. First of all, this word access, and I don't mean to get too technical about this, and I'm not because I don't have enough technicality remaining in me, but this word access is in what's called the perfect tense in the Greek language. You say that doesn't mean a hill of beans to me. Not me either, except for the fact that it's being in the perfect tense means that we're given access in, the, in, in a sense in the first case and for the first time. And by being given access for the first time, we remain in that access from that point forward. The word literally implies that we're given an introduction. And there are a few of the modern translations which I'll admit to you, I don't necessarily trust the ones that say this in all of what they say, but there are a few of the modern translations that actually use the word we are given an introduction to Christ. That is as if someone grabbed our hand. In this case, it has to be Jesus. It could be no other. But it's as if Jesus has come unto us and reached out to Jim and said, Come on, Jim. Walk with me into the throne room of God and let me introduce you to Jehovah God. Therefore, I'm given access. Now, here's the key to that. Because God serves as a father unto us, once we are formally introduced by salvation, by conversion to Him, we don't have to be reintroduced. You ever noticed about that about a good father? Once a good father meets his children, you don't have to come back into your father's uh, office or to your father's living room every day and say, by the way, Daddy, I'm your son. 
By the way, Father, my name is Jim. And continue to reintroduce yourself and continue to get to know that Father over and over and over and over again. No, He recognizes you. And so once you gain access, once you get in, in the door and are introduced to a Father in a physical sense and especially in a spiritual sense, you have that access. And you can always come into the door. Now, as you can see in that physical illustration, likewise, you can always walk out the door. And you can always try to forget the Father yourself. But the key comes in in what you read, not in verses 1 and 2, but in verse 3. Conversion brings conflict. Verse 3 went on to tell us, we're putting it together, and we ought not only, and, and not only so, but we glory in tribulation. Let me ask you a question as we bleed into this. When you are saved, if you are saved at this point, when you are saved, what does God give you? Does He give you peace or tribulation? The answer is yes. The very first part of this first verse said, therefore we being justified, we have Peace. The very first part of verse 3 says, and not only so, we glory in tribulation. We may not want to think about it that way. And I sure don't. While God is giving us peace through salvation, through our conversion, God is handing us a plate full of tribulation, trouble, difficulty, and the word tribulation means pressure. It's the word that meant to be put into a vice or a press. It was used most, most likely and in most times in New Testament terms and New Testament times to speak of a grape that was put into a press as to squeeze out all the juices to make wine. Or an olive that was put into a press to squeeze out all the oils to make the oil itself to anoint someone for some disease. Do you see the pictures? We have the wine that comes to us in that sense that represents the love and the blood of Jesus Christ. We have the oils that are given to us that anoint us as His children, that is the children of God. But that only comes through the pressures of tribulation. I'm not one that studied up too much on it, but I know this is a general fact that any diamond that any woman might have upon her hand, and we in the United States have more than anyone else, but if you got a diamond upon your hand, maybe from a husband or from some other gift, or maybe you went out and bought it for yourself, that diamond was made from nothing but a lump of coal that was put under extreme pressure. And God cannot form us without allowing us to be put under pressure. Without allowing us to be put into the vice of this life and allow us to be crushed and pressed and molded and made what He wants us to be. Now that's one of those old time horse pills that will choke a man down to consider 
And when we consider that, we have to understand that when we think about the conflicts that we're involved in, conversion brings forth conflict. We're always going to be in conflict as Christians. Let me give you a few instances. This will not be complete, but I promise you it will summarize the majority. First of all, you're going to be in conflict. If you're a child of God, you're going to be in conflict with this world. And I mean by that the cosmos of iniquity. You know, when God, when God had it to be inspired uh, by the writer John, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. That's what I'm talking about here. If you're a child of God's, and I'm trying to be a child of God's, if I'm trying to live that faithful life, that faith, a life of strong faith, back from the preceding chapter, if I'm going to live that strong, faithful life, I'm going to be in conflict with the world. And what's the world trying to get me to do? To submit. Just simply to submit. It's going to try to get me to pour myself or to allow myself to be poured in to the world's mold. In the same book, Romans chapter 12, be not what? Conformed to this world, but be you transformed. How? By the renewing of our minds. The world just wants us to submit. All that we see scrolling down this, the pages of the news and all whether we can access it through the internet or through the written page or through the television, all of that is just about conforming our minds to submitting to what we see as the new norm. Secondarily, oftentimes we're going to fall to conflict because of the flesh. And, and I'll admit, we as members of the church, sometimes we're afraid to talk about the flesh. And I mean by that, the inner spirit of man that strives against us. And what is the flesh trying to get us to do? The flesh is trying to get us to slide. I think it's Galatians 5 verse 17. If that's not right, you'll find it. It's there. But it speaks about how the flesh striveth against the Spirit. That means it's a tug of war. And if, if you've been a Christian more than five minutes or five years, at some point in your life, you've seen yourself. If you're conscious, you, you've seen yourself knowing that you have to be a child of God. You need to be a child of God at least. But you've also known yourself wanting to get into fleshly things. Wanting to turn into fleshly things. Wanting to let this world slide you back and, and just say, hey, you need to be over here. You need to put your time in this. You need to put your efforts in this. And this is more important than that over there. Just to slide. The problem is when you slide toward the world, you're sliding down that slippery slope to which there is very little time to return. It's not just the world. It's not just the flesh. It's the devil himself. That's some of the conflict we endure. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, of course, on behalf and by the inspiration of God, that we have to be able to, to uh, stand against the wiles of the devil. That's his tricks. His bag full of tricks. What's he trying to get us to do? He's trying to get us to stumble. 
I mean, if he can get us to trip up and to stumble and to fall on our faces, he knows it's going to be harder and harder and harder and harder to get up. And he knows how the world is. He knows the world is there laying beside us and they're encouraging us that life in the pit is better. He knows the Christians are there standing over us and pointing their fingers down at us and ridiculing us for being in the pit to begin with. Trying to get us to stumble. And then there's another one here that you might be surprised, but I'll admit, sometimes we deal with conflict between us and the church. You say, no, 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 the church. I mean, we're in it to win it. We're together. That, that's the church, the ecclesia. We're called out. We're called toward. We're called together. That should be it. But friends, the church is a place where it is too easy to stagnate. You remember the layout of seeings? Revelation chapter 2, how they began to stagnate. They were neither hot, they were neither cold. Shane speaks about salting. I, 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 maybe this is not exactly the way he phrased it. This is the way I say it, salting salt. I see, I see over 50% of the church today who are doing nothing but that. I don't want to be in that. I, I'm not one for big, big fat programs or anything else. I don't want to be in that, but I don't need to be dead either. So where does that put me? Sometimes stagnating. Sitting back and doing absolutely nothing. So where do we go? If we're not going to go with the world in that conflict and submit, we're not going to go with the flesh and slide, we're not going to go with the devil and stumble, we're not going to go with some of the church and stagnate, where are we going to go? We're going to have to go with God and stand. That's because conversion leads to conflict. Now, if you've ever been taught or even been thought that life as a Christian was anything but that, you've been misled and misunderstood. Number next. Patterns right here. Look back at the page. Conversion, verse 1 and 2, leads to conflict, verse 3a, but conflict, tying it together, conflict leads to constancy. Now, I understand that sounds like consistency, and it's, it's the first cousin of consistency, and constancy is a word, I, a word I've never used in my life. It was probably the last time, and no, I wasn't just looking for a C word. I'll explain myself. But reading the text again, verse 3, and not only so, but we glory in tribulations. That is conflict. Yes. And also knowing tribulation worketh leads to patience. Now the word patience in biblical speak means endurance. You look that up in Greek dictionaries, it means constancy. You know what Jim did? He tried to find out what constancy was. It's not consistency. It's constancy. It means being constant. 
It means doing the same thing again and again and again, no matter the outcome, no matter how discouraged, no matter how distraught, no matter how disturbed, just doing what you know to be right. The Greek word behind this is a Greek word, hypermone. You say, what in the world? It's where we get our English word literally hypodermic. Like a hypodermic needle, it means to go underneath the pressure. And in that sense, from the tribulation, we move into the constancy. It means to stick with it. It's not about being patient to thread a needle. It's not about being patient in the doctor's office. It's about being patient no matter what comes and being constant with it. Have you ever backslidden in your life? I said, I'm not a backslider. Have you ever read your Bible more than you do right now? Have you ever prayed more than you do right now? Have you ever loved God more than you do right now? If any of those apply to more, you're a backslider. We have to be improving, getting better. You see, what's supposed to be happening is that this tribulation is supposed to be working in the direction of constancy or patience. Now, what happens when tribulation comes and constancy does not exist? What happens? What happens when my health fails? What happens when my bank account empties? What happens when my job disintegrates? What happens when my spouse leaves? What happens when my, my loved one dies? What happens when, you name it. If there's no constancy, I waste away. I lose my faith. Again, there are several ways people sometimes deal with that tribulation without that constancy. I'll give you some choices. You, you choose whatever, whichever appropriates you, whichever seems appropriate to you. Number one, some people retreat. Tribulation, pressure, trouble, trials, difficulties, discouragement falls upon them, and some people just decide to retreat. I've got a friend of mine, older gentleman, obviously. You have to get older to get this kind of humor and, and to get by with it, certainly. But he told me one day, he said, do you know how you deal with a woman? I said, how is that? He said, with a hat. I said, with a hat? He said, you grab your hat and run. That's how you deal with a woman. No, not really. Retreat. You know, that, that's the basic plan for many people. If life turns, turns aside from what I want it to be, I'll just run away from that life. I'll just go a different way. I'll turn life into what I want it to be. There's a problem with that. Your life is not supposed to be what you want it to be. It's supposed to be what God made it to be. You can't retreat. 
Some try. Secondarily, I, I know that there are times in our lives when, when troubles come along and, and we, we don't want to retreat. We want to resent. You know, God, <laughs> don't you know my situation? Don't you know what I'm already having to deal with here? How, how could you, how could you allow anything else to come? How many empty seats in pews? And that's just the way we visualize it. How many empty seats in pews? They wouldn't matter. You could be sitting beside an empty seat and touch the person in the empty seat and it'd still be empty. But how many empty pew seats do we have in this building because someone actually resents God? Now they may say, oh, so-and-so did me wrong. No, really, they think God did them wrong. And it's because a hard time came their way. Or at least an unideal time occurred. Resentment. Number next is to illustrate the point, some simply resign. I quit. If this is the Christian life, I quit. I don't want to do it anymore. Again, kind of backing up the preceding point. If I had known that there would be conflict and not just days filled with roses and all smelly good stuff, I wouldn't have done it. I mean, I became a Christian because I was trying to get away from hard days. And somebody told me that, you know, Jesus would save me from everything. Let me tell you something. Jesus and God together, put together, wrapped up and tied up with the Spirit are not in deal-making business. If you thought that they were going to save you from poverty and trade out wealth, they weren't trying to do that. If you thought they were going to try to, to take weakness and turn it into strength just, just in a physical sense, they were not intending to do that. If you thought they were going to bring wellness in place of, of illness, no! No! They don't make substitutions. Now they will substitute salvation for sin, but that is the only thing they promised. So someone might retreat, someone might resent, someone might resign, but everyone eventually has to resolve. To resolve. That is just basically, you know how easy it was to preach to others? Go get them. That's just basically to say, it does not matter what comes my way, I can stand strong. I think more times than not, We base all of our faith on what we receive because we're ready to receive. But more times than not, we're never ready to really accept and to accept where we are right now. You know, it doesn't matter if that's a bad situation. You know, if it's a bad situation, we kind of all share and we get it. 
Man, you, your life is bad. I get it, man. I know why you're discouraged. I know. But maybe it's just not ideal. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't get the job making half a million dollars. I'm mad about it. I quit. Resolve. You go back and read the book of Job. You can read the first ten verses. That's enough. You see if he resolved or not. You see if he set down a lifelong tribute to, to resolving to something. You think he made a deal with God and said, God, if you take away my children, we're done. You take away my house, we're done. You take away my, my well, we are, we're, we're through. Never once had he done that. Winston Churchill was accredited with, with basically, he looked like a bulldog. Look him up on Google one day. He looked like a bulldog. And he is actually attributed with a saying that we use so many times. Never, 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 never give up. And he taught us that, that, that the reason bulldogs' noses are turned up is so they can grab hold of something and still breathe. That's the life we have to live. To never give up. But never to give up on whom? On God. So conversion brings conflict. But conflict brings constancy. Because why? Because read the verse, verse 3, the next phrase of it. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings patience, verse 4, and patience experience. You see, constancy, verse th point number 3, constancy brings character. Again, I like my alliteration, but I wasn't just looking for a C word. The word experience here is all about our character. It has everything to do with our character. And character is a far cry from our reputation. We want good reputations. We want it to be said of us when we die that we were good people, that we were caring and loving and giving and, and all of that. We want that, right? Admit it. I'll admit it. But all reputation is is what other people think about you. That's all it is. Your character is what God and your spouse knows about you. It's what they know about you. And that's two polar opposites. Many a man has died with a great reputation that will stand in judgment opposed to God completely and step inside of eternity and step down through the pit of hell. We don't want that. Our experience... Our character matters. Now, how is that character built? Well, not to rewind and to reiterate everything, but knowing that conversion brought conflict. 
And that conflict needed constancy to live. And that constancy builds that character. One of these very successful, I've read, very successful highfalutin businessmen, I don't know what he owned, you know, one of these big companies, something like that, supposedly was asked, you know, how are you so successful? He said, well, I've been successful because I've made some really good decisions in life. I said, well, that's good. I, I would believe that. I mean, look at all what you've created. Good decisions. said, how did you learn to make good decisions? He said, well, I made some bad decisions. How did you make bad decisions? Through experience. I just did. We have to live. We have to go through this life. We have to deal with this life. We have to go through what we, what we are. Now let me tell you something else about the Word. Pick, pick this up and look at it. Verse 4, And patience experience. That word experience here is a Greek word that literally means to test or to put through the fire. Now you've, you've heard that. You've heard about the word test and try throughout the New Testament, what the, what the word means. It's the same word right here, experience. Obviously spelt, I said spelt, spelt a lot different. The same word. The, the idea here is that our character is built by us being tried. That, that, that when God takes and puts us underneath the fire of what's already been said, He's looking down as the old goldsmiths of Jesus as they would have, and they know that the gold is purest when they can see their face in it. And until the character of God is seen in us, we're not acceptable yet. And so many times, I'll reread the first two verses. Therefore being justified with faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we also have access through faith and the grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. I want to live that life. I want to stand in that life. Don't read verse 3. Don't give me any of verse 3. Tribulation. But, but give me character. Give me the good experiences of life. Again, we're not, we're not wheeling and dealing with God here. We're not, we're not making trade-outs. We've got to go through the fires in order to show His face. Now, number last here, I think, would be number four. Conversion leads to conflict. Conflict leads to constancy. Constancy leads to character because character leads to, look at the very next word in the language, and I'll reveal it to you, and patience, experience, and experience, hope. So character leads us to confidence. And yes, I wanted to see words. It's the only time I say that. Yes, I did. But hope is confidence. It's not maybe. It's not might. It is confidence. Hope. 
We sing the song sometime. I don't know the title. Any of the song leaders would easily know it, but I know the, I know the phrase in it. My hope is built on what? Nothing less than Jesus Christ, our righteousness. Can't be built anywhere else. If I hope, if my hope is in myself, I don't have any hope. If my hope is built upon someone else and their character, I have no hope. And I'll admit to you, that is, that is my number one problem. Those who I trust, those who I love, those who I have connection with, those who I, you know, I, without meaning to, I put faith in. When they fall, I fall. They go down, I go down harder. Maybe that is just the way we are. A couple of things came to mind when I thought about that, read that off these pages. First of all, you see it there developing in verse 5, and hope maketh not ashamed. That is literally there, Hope in God will not disappoint us. We're not ever going to come up and, and be disappointed in the hope that we put in God because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Why is that? Verse 6, For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That is when we were without hope. Dropping down to verse 9, Much more than now being justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him for verse 10 for if when we were in or enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son that is we were once enemies we were without hope that connects me back to Ephesians 2 and verse 10 without hope without God in this world Christ who is our living hope make it not a shame Do you have strong faith? Having strong faith equals having hope. Do you have hope? You have strong faith. I didn't make this up. Conversion leads to conflict. Conflict leads to constancy. Constancy leads to character. And character leads to hope. If you're not a child of God tonight, hopefully and prayerfully, now that hope is our kind of hope. Through faith, repentance, confession, and baptism, you'll put him on because you've got to have hope. If you've fallen away, if you need to come back to God, both in, in, in your body, but especially in your mind, you've got to come back to God and you've got to have hope. Absolutely, a true story I'm about to share with you, and we're we're done. Colin's going to lead us in the song. Just a moment. It's a teenage boy who was dying, dying with cancer. Both he and his father, of course, this was given over. This was the great gift his father had given him. Were atheists, deep seated atheists. Terrible, as low as you can go, atheist, atheistic to the core. 
son was lying on his dying bed. Young lady who had been standing there in their room time and time again, trying her best, giving it her all, trying to convert these two people to God, had made no progress whatsoever, was now standing outside of the door and overheard the following conversation. The sun starting, his breathing was starting to slow, and he was starting to struggle. He was starting to be afraid, and his father was there as he was dying, trying to comfort him. And she heard the, the father tell the son, he said, hang on, son, just hang on. Just hang on. It's almost over. It's almost over. Just hang on. Hang on. He said, Daddy, am I going to die? He said, Son, you're going to die, but just hang on. It's almost over. He said, Daddy, I don't want to die. He said, just hang on. It's almost over. Just hang on. He said, Daddy, I don't have anything to hang on to. Jesus is the hope and he's the anchor of your souls. Your decision stands tonight while we stand and sing.